We are trailblazers. We are scientists. We are diplomats. We are warriors. We are protectors. We are healers. We are pioneers. We are explorers. We are family. And we are the crew of the USS Arabella, boldly going where no one has gone before. Hello, and welcome to The Ready Room, the Trexan sci-fi microcast. I'm Jen, and I play Commander Cyril. And this is Kenny. I play Captain Nathan Quinn of the USS Arabella. On today's Ready Room, we have the second half of the dramatization. I guess that's it. Yep. All right. Just through the magic, through the magic of podcasting, and in the tradition of Star Trek, we have time traveled <laughs> <laughs> a week ahead to give you this podcast episode. <laughs> Actually, we're recording this at the same time we recorded last week's episode. Yes. So. Yes. Um, we have no idea how the season has ended, or if it's still going. Still or, moving. Yeah. So, so um, all we can do is just. Tell, tell you about the second half of season two. <laughs> yes. And um, so, yeah, so take it away. Here's the second half of season two RPG dramatization. The way team turned to face the Denobelian transporter chief, but before Savril could give him the go-ahead to beam to the surface, Dr. Peterson rushed through the doors into the transporter room. Dr. Peterson glanced at the commander in the transporter room and said... You're not planning to leave without me, are you? After all, there may be survivors that need medical attention, and if there's a firefight, they'll undoubtedly be wounded that I'll need to be attending to. We detected weapons fire on the surface, Doctor. Once the area is secure, we will request that you beam down to our coordinates. Several looked down at the Doctor, standing ready at the door. Prepare for a massive influx of the wounded, Doctor. I'm very accurate shot. Please allow me to accompany you to the surface. If we're met with hostile fire, you'll need an extra phaser. And if we're met by a mass of wounded civilians, I will need your expertise. Severil finished his sentence for him in an even tone. She chewed on his statement for a fraction of a second and then nodded her approval. Lieutenant Peters tossed the doctor a phaser as he stepped onto the pad and Severil motioned to the Denobelian transporter chief that they were ready to beam down. Glittering particles of light bonded to form five Starfleet officers within the outpost on the surface of Altair III. The Klingons transported within seconds of the Tiberius away team. Their corresponding transporter coordinates placed them within the large complex in the center of the settlement. Upon materialization, the crews of the Kata and Tiberius drew their sidearms in preparation of hostile fire. Lieutenant Peters ignited the light he carried with his right hand. Its hazy beam revealed the bodies of armed civilians laying in twisted heaps about the facility. The corpses bore the scorched marks of a recent annihilation. Corinth and Sevril approached one another as the away teams united their effort to inspect the immediate area. Stepping over the dead of several worlds, the Vulcan and Klingon met in the center of the room. I am Lieutenant Commander Sevril, and this is Ensign Enoch. Savril's introduction of Enoch was met with a sidelong glance by the Klingon captain. She growled quietly as she took the Vulcan's stolid expression. Corinth's striking green eyes narrowed before she turned them on Enoch. She considered the young helmsman carefully before replying in a curt voice, I am Captain Corinth. 
Commander, Lieutenant Peters spoke quietly as he advanced from the far side of the room. I'm picking up a bio sign in the west wing of the complex. Quinn sat in the captain's chair and waited for a report from the away team. The helmsman said, Sir, we're detecting a ship. Quinn stood up. What? Where did it come from? I don't know, sir. It wasn't there a minute ago. It must have been hiding in the nearby nebula, said Ensign Lodgen. Can you ID it, Ensign? Ensign Lodgen ran her fingers across the helms panel. No, sir. It's not of any configuration in Starfleet records. Lieutenant Nagumo, over the tactical station, asked, Should I raise shields, Captain? Quinn looked over at him and shook his head. We don't want to seem aggressive. Lieutenant Nagumo looked concerned. Quinn paced the bridge and ran his fingers through his hair, trying to sense the alien ship. Try and hail them. Lieutenant Nagumo yelled, Sir, they're, they're firing torpedoes! Quinn yelled, Shields up! Quickly pressed his comm badge. All hands brace for impact! I repeat, all hands brace for impact! The doctor could see the bodies sprawled all over the complex. The smell of burned flesh was overpowering. The damage to the bodies was quite extensive. Every cell within them had been imploded upon impact. A scan from his tricorder told him the energy weapons were the cause, and these particular weapons had been outlawed by the Federation due to their barbaric nature. The doctor pressed his comm badge and informed several of his findings, indicating that it was extremely unlikely any survivors would be found. Peterson continued to survey the scene and record the damage with the use of his medical tricorder. Then he searched for anything that might indicate why this particular outpost was chosen as a target. Commander, the chief of security spoke quietly as he advanced from the far side of the room. I'm picking up biosigns in the west wing of the complex. The Vulcan nodded and signaled for Lieutenant Peters to wait before advancing. She gazed across the vast space within the compound in search of the doctor. His search for life amongst the multitude of motionless forms had taken him to the far side of the complex, and she could barely make out his shadowy figure from her location on the opposite side of the room. Sevril tapped her comm badge and informed the doctor of the security chief's discovery. Peterson here. I do not want to jeopardize the safety of the away team. The utmost care must be taken in our investigation. Please meet us at these coordinates. We will wait for you and Ensign Marquis before investigating further. On my way, replied the doctor. As Dr. Peterson and Ensign Manrique ran the obstacle course of debris and dead, two energy discharges struck them both in the back. The two crew members abruptly plunged to the cold stone floor. Though conscious, they were unable to move a single appendage to defend themselves from their unseen aggressors. The doctor's eyes met Manrique's. His gaze was stubborn and angry as he shifted in the direction of the away team. Through the gloom, Manrique could see the Klingon and Tiberius away teams progressing towards them, firing at the attackers. Beams of energy crisscrossed the darkened war zone, illuminating its once obscure contents. The anonymous aggressors provided cover for two of their own as they grabbed the paralyzed Starfleet officers and hauled them into a nearby corridor. With their hostages in tow, the shadowy assailants disappeared within the multitude of dark passageways inside the immense complex. In an instant, they transported off the surface of Altair Three, leaving the winded away teams behind in frustration. The ship shook back and forth. Quinn fell to the floor but quickly regained his footing. Photons full spread, Quinn yelled. 
Lieutenant Nagumo turned to Quinn. Sir, they are pulling back. Do we pursue? Stand by, Lieutenant. Quinn pressed his comm badge. Number one, what is the status of the away team? Commander, the aggressors have beamed away and they've taken Dr. Peterson and Ensign Marquis with them. What? Quinn announced. Stand by. We're going to beam you back. Transporter room. Beam the away team directly to the bridge. A few seconds later, the away team appeared on the bridge. Helm, set a pursuit course. Quinn turned to Savril. Where are the Klingons? Before she could answer the commander, the communications officer interjected. Sir, the Kata is hailing us. Quinn nodded. On screen. Corinth's eyes sparkled with exhilaration. These piles of rotting foreshack will wish they'd never crossed our paths, Commander. A fierce smile spread across the Klingon's female face. As you know, they've taken two of my officers. Do not destroy their ship. Of course, she hissed. Our vessel is currently cloaked after the Tiberius. We are maneuvering into attack position now. Once their ship has been disabled, I want the Black Tag who commands it and his cargo to myself. She tilted her head as she emphasized the last words of her sentence. The bridge of the Tiberius shook again as the aggressors fired once more. Shields are holding, Commander, reported Lieutenant Coran. Quinn looked over his shoulder at the tactical officer and then back to the view screen. A frown formed on Quinn's face. We'll talk about that later, Captain. I'm a little busy right now. Again, your help is appreciated. Now, if you'll excuse me... Certainly, Commander, replied the Klingon. Quinn turned and motioned for communications to be cut and then faced the Lieutenant Coran. Return fire. Target their weapons. Savril fell into her chair as the ship lurched again. Captain, before they were taken, the doctor mentioned the civilians' wounds were made with outlawed weapons. It is my assessment that we are dealing with marauders. I believe you mean murderers, replied Quinn as the bridge lurched again. Dr. Peterson awoke in what was little more than a small empty room, bare of the normal tapestries that one might expect to find. It looked as if there was a makeshift cell, and it was put together at the last moment. The doctor could hear the muffled sounds of voices, but could not make out what was being said. Although groggy from being hit with the beam weapon, he was otherwise uninjured. Peterson still had his medical equipment and managed to modify his comm badge to that of a homing beacon. He hoped that the Tiberius and the commander would check all frequencies once they knew that he'd been beamed off the planet. All he could do now was wait and see what his captors wanted with him, and hope that his career in Starfleet would not come to an abrupt end. Ensign Manrique and Dr. Peterson braced themselves as the kidnapper's ship shook violently with each volley from the Tiberius. An armed Akamarian approached their cell and motioned for them to stand away from the force field. The doctor looked at Ensign Manrique. It was clear they wouldn't be able to take him, for he was armed to the tooth and heavily armored. They stood back, and the field was deactivated. You, the Akamarian gathered, pointed at the doctor with his phaser rifle. Come with me. Manrique stepped forward in defense of the doctor, but Peterson advised against it with the motion of his hand and a concerned look on his face. The man took Peterson to the medical bay, filled with wounded gatherers. All were clad in the same armor as the individual who escorted him there. 
Peterson presumed that they were injured in the assault on the surface and that they were the sole reason for his abduction. Get to work, shouted the escort before shoving the doctor in the back with his rifle. On the bridge of the Akamarian ship, Chorgon barked out at his crew. What is our status? The guitar is decloaked. She's taken up a defensive position alongside the Starfleet vessel, replied the helmsman frantically. Matak, the second in command, whispered to his captain. Chorgon, we must leave now. We cannot take them both. You know what she'll do to us. You killed her son. She won't stop until we're all dead. Shut up, Chorgon shouted aloud as he paced the bridge. The Tiberius continued to pound them, rattling the crew as well as their equipment. Slack, get us out of here. Maximum warp. Fire the aft pulse cannons to disrupt their sensor arrays. Before the Tiberius and the Kata had completely disabled the alien ship, a blinding pulse filled the bridge of Tiberius, and the ship was gone. What happened? barked Quinn as he rubbed his eyes. Coran's fingers ran across his panel. They've fired ion pulse cannons. Sensors are offline, Commander. Get them back, Lieutenant, Quinn ordered. The edge in his voice was now clearly evident. As Dr. Peterson surveyed the injured crew, he noted that many of the wounded were not seriously injured. However, one was bleeding internally and required immediate surgery. He recalled the words, Above all else, do no harm, then informed his captors of his needs. He asked to speak to his captor's leader so that he could find out what this was all about. At the least, he could learn the reason he may have end up dying. There was also an off chance that he could perhaps find a diplomatic way out of this situation without the loss of further life. The doctor hoped that Lieutenant Commander Savril could still hear his thoughts, even though he had not tried to reach her, and was not sure that his telepathic abilities would be strong enough at this distance. Luckily, the doctor still had the Iconian art- artifact in his possession. He hoped that, with its enhancing effect, it might allow him to reach her. He would use it and tell her to track his calm frequency so that they could find him. For now, all he could do was hope that the fates would be kind and that he would be able to live to see another day. He would continue to serve Starfleet to his best of abilities, which at the moment he could not say was his best or anywhere close to it. Acrid smoke rose from the consoles on Chorgon's bridge, filling the vicinity with white haze. His gruff voice snapped orders at the bridge crew as he sliced through the haze that obscured his armored form. Status? he snarled over the railing from the higher command level. Matak, Chorgon's second in command, answered him promptly from below. Uh, we are safely away from the Starfleet vessel and the Qatar. He paused a moment as he gathered the courage to continue. I shouldn't have to remind you, Chorgon, that Corinth will not stop until she has satisfied her blood oath. Chorgon's hard glare eventually caused the second-in-command to avert his eyes and drop the subject. Matok had not been present when the raid on the settlement went wrong. He had no idea what really happened. Yet his constant nagging was darned annoying. It was worse than his late mother's persistent harassment. What Chorgon needed was a second officer, not an overbearing parent. I'm going to the medical bay to see how our new doctor is handling things. Find a sector where we can lay low. Some place where we can pick up more capable mercenaries. Contact someone who will purchase our spoils.
Dr. Peterson worked frantically to save the injured Akamarian that lay stretched on the med table before him. The detained physician found himself conducting a delicate operation with rudimentary equipment. The kit he had brought on the away mission was not outfitted with the precision devices available back on the Tiberius. If it was, this surgery would not be as difficult or time-consuming. Chorgon strode into the crowded med bay, stepping over the injured as he made his way to where the doctor stood. Will he live? he inquired coarsely. I'm doing my best to ensure that he does. Who are you? the doctor asked without stopping to look at the man. What does it matter? Make sure he doesn't die. Chorgon turned to leave the med bay, but the doctor's next statement stopped him in his tracks. You're an Akamarian gatherer, the doctor sensed Chorgon's annoyance at the term he used. There was an awkward pause before the man replied, I'm a gatherer. Akamar Three is no longer our home, he growled. Well, gatherer, your Akamarian blood is composed of an odd composite of iron and copper-based blood chemistry. Your friend requires a transfusion if he's going to live. Take a seat. Peterson knew he could probably acquire the blood needed from any of the healthy gatherers injured in the attack, but he wanted a bit more information from the man who had just entered the medical bay. The seriously injured patient was important to him somehow. He was certain that the man would donate the blood, and because of it, he would become the doctor's captive audience for a few hours. Chorgon stared up at Peterson as the abducted Starfleet doctor prepared his arm for the transfusion. It's obvious why I'm here, the doctor began, and I'm guessing that you're the one who made that decision. Peterson pushed the needle roughly into Chorgon's arm as he finished the statement. Chorgon grimaced but did not react to the doctor's purposeful lack of bedside manner. Yes, he replied through clenched teeth. Then you're the leader of these cutthroats? The doctor looked up from his work and held the other's eyes for a moment before continuing with the transfusion. Cutthroats, he said with a chuckle. (laughs) Never heard that term. Chorgon continued to glare at the doctor as Peterson connected the crude transfusion device to the unconscious patient. A few minutes went by before the doctor continued his questioning. Is murder your primary occupation, or is it just something you like to do? Unwind on the weekends, hmm? Chorgon laughed at the doctor's last question. (laughs) You're a brave doctor. He eyed Peterson before continuing. No, killing is an unfortunate byproduct of my primary occupation. The doctor's face twisted in disgust, but he managed to keep his temper. It was my understanding that Akamar III's sovereign Maruk offered repatriation for these strange gatherers. The negotiations were mediated by a Starfleet captain. From what I've read, Picard was eventually successful, and the gatherers agreed to return home the same year. Chorgon's smile was replaced by a frown. Anger boiled out in his reply. Sovereign Maruk used Picard to lure us into a trap. Once he left, the so-called conservative Akamarians wiped out most of our clans. We're all that's left. We're gathering the best weapons and mercenaries to return the favor. Chorgon stated flatly. Several sat across from Quinn in his ready room. The remaining sensors are failing to track the alien ship's course. What's worse, Corinth's vessels suffered the same damage to primary and secondary sensor arrays. They cannot assist us in our search. Quinn sat back in the chair and rubbed the bridge of his nose as Severell continued. As you know, Commander, the artifacts the Doctor and I have studied created a telepathic link between Margon and ourselves. 
I do not know how long this effect will last, but I have been receiving faint impressions from the doctor. Quinn straightened his chair and leaned forward. What sort of impressions? he asked with renewed hope. Images, fragments of conversation. They are faint and infrequent at best. Perhaps I can help you enhance them. I'll ask Margon to join us. It's possible that he also senses the doctor. The surgery, although difficult, went well, and the patient, who should have died, would soon make a full recovery. All that remained to do was to complete the final sutures. Dr. Peterson spoke to his captor and told him that he wished to help him in his plight. He believed that he had been treated unfairly. I asked Chorgon why the Klingon had taken a blood oath against him. Peterson told Chorgon that Tiberius had a JAG officer on board who could help if he could provide proof of his accusations. After an uncomfortable pause, he barked out an order to his second-in-command and then stated, I don't know why, but I believe you are a man of honor who is either extremely stupid or very brave. I'm not sure I know which, but uh, I'd prefer to think the latter is true. He gave the doctor the required information and his version of the raid that resulted in the blood oath. Peterson sent the information to the last known position of the Tiberius on a scrambled alpha channel, Priority 1, and hoped that the JAG officer was good at law as she was at diplomacy, for his very life hung in the balance. He then sat and pondered his predicament and hoped that the Tiberius received his message. He wondered if the commander could read or receive his telepathic thoughts as he reached out for her from so far away. He supposed that all he could do was be ready to act when the moment presented itself. The turbo lift doors opened and Counselor Margon stepped onto the bridge. He made his way to the ready room. The door chirped and the Commander Quinn said, Enter. Margon walked in to see Savril seated at the captain's desk. Okay, my head is swimming with surgery images and an impatient Vulcan, he grinned. Several gave him a look of disgust. I used my comm badge, Counselor, she stated bluntly. Yes, but I knew your call was coming ten seconds before it happened. He grinned again and sat down in the other chair next to Severell. So, we need to find the doctor, do we? he asked, looking at Quinn. Quinn smirked, amused by Margon's light-hearted mannerisms. Counselor, can you assist Severell in her search? Yes, as a matter of fact, if you ask her to scan for iron and copper-based blood signatures in the system with three M-class planets in sector, um, um, he rubbed his nose ridge, the doctor overheard a navigation command from an officer on the ship he's being held on. Eight, Savril nodded. Sector eight. Margon chuckled. Yes, eight. <laughs> That's what it is. Find him, Commander. I can't handle much more of these bloody images in my head. She got up from the chair. If you will excuse me, gentlemen, I have a doctor to find. She walked out of the room and the doors hissed shut behind her. Matok interrupted Chorgon and Peterson timidly. We have reached Desica too. Chorgon turned to the doctor. You're coming with us. Get your kid in order. Dr. Peterson frowned as he began to prepare his medkit for the unexpected expedition to the surface. Desiga 2 was in Sector 8, and if he wasn't mistaken, it was a hotbed of illegal activity. The Orion Syndicate often utilized Desiga 2's congested bars as a smokescreen. Elasai, Orion, 
Osarian and Nausicaan interstellar pirates flank their operation and camouflage the syndicate's transactions. If one was looking for mercenaries, illegal weapons, and fast ships, Desica II was definitely the place to hold and locate them in abundance. Unfortunately, it was also the best place to find a tragic end. The young boy of 11 or 12, clad in black armor, mumbled unconsciously on the table behind him. The doctor wondered if his young patient had been part of the raid on Altair III. Chorgon's concern for the kid led Peterson to believe that he was related somehow. The doctor primed a hypospray and administered the sedative to the boy. As he watched his patient relax, he told himself that he would see to it that the child would no longer be involved in Chorgon's plots. How Peterson would accomplish this task? That would have to be determined at a later day. Ensign Manrique paced his holding cell anxiously as a group of gatherers entered the brig. "'Stand away from the containment field,' one of them growled. Manrique stood back and balled his fist in preparation. The field was deactivated, and Chorgon entered the small room. "'You're on my ship because I require men capable of killing. Have you ever taken a life?' Johnny considered Chorgon's question. He hadn't had to kill anyone, but he was confident if he had to, he could. The ensign determined that a lie was the best response, so Johnny answered with a macho, Yeah, uh, what are you doing, writing a book? Chorgon stood a step forward and sized up the young officer. Johnny stood his ground and maintained eye contact. Chorgon saw this as a challenge and swung his fist hard at Manrique's face. The young officer stepped back with his right leg and parried the attack with an excellent left forearm. He then quickly countered the attack by stepping forward again, sliding his right leg behind Chorgon's, while simultaneously hitting the armored Akamarian in the throat with a falcon strike. Chorgon fell flat on his back, gasping for air on the floor. The other Akamarians rushed Manrique, but Chorgon stopped them from punishing the Starfleet officer for his bold display. Between his labored gasp for air, he laughed aloud. Two gatherers hurried to help him off the floor, but he waved them off and stood to face Manrique once more. You'll make an excellent member of my crew. He turned to Matok. Give him some armor. He'll be coming with us. Have you located a customer? Chorgon asked Matok as they strode through the corridors leading to the transporter bay. Yes, he is waiting for you at the Brintec bar, replied the second-in-command. The transport crafts have been loaded with the freight and outfitted with additional weaponry and hardware in the event that you need them. Tell him I'm expecting the payment in full. Chorgon entered the transport bay where a small contingent of gatherers awaited his arrival. Dr. Peterson and Ensign Manrique were among them, clad in the same black Akmerian armor as their captors. Two of the gatherers' transport crafts landed in the prearranged docking bay. Once they secured their freight, they headed for the coordinates that their contact had given them. The Brintec bar was dark, smoky, and filled with the voices of various patrons, most of which were Alasse, Orion, Osarian and Nausicaan. Several Nausicaans looked up from their Dom Jock game as they walked in, and Orion's slave girls danced around the room to a rhythmic beat of drums. They whirled around the group of gatherers whose tough exteriors began to melt into dull-witted grins and glassy-eyed stares. One particularly beautiful Orion slid her seductive green arms around the doctor's shoulders and then wrapped her sheer veil around his waist. 
Her devilish smile kept his eyes as she pulled him gently towards the center of the crowded bar. Before he wandered too far, Jorgon grabbed him by the arm and hauled him away from the trance. Get back, he growled at the slave girls. They danced away as the group of Akamarians muttered to one another in disappointment. Desica too was not unlike other planets that the Doctor visited in previous off-world excursions. The smell of dry blood and the sweat intermingled with the dense blue-gray smoke that filled the air of the streets. It was a mix of haphazard display of various market merchants competing against each other for elusive gold bars of Latin that allowed them to eke out a barely human existence in Earth terms. He surveyed his surroundings, wondering how things could have gone so wrong. How did he end up in the situation that he found himself in? He checked and found that his makeshift transponder was still working. And he hoped it, along with his latent telepathic ability, would be enough to make it through another day. The doctor kept reminding himself that if he wasn't a doctor, he may not be around to be having this conversation with himself and decided he was lucky to still be alive. As long as he was still alive, there was still a chance he could get out of the situation in one piece. Hopefully. Anson Bandana knew little of what was going on, but he knew it was dangerous. His first real live space battle experience was over. He wished there was more to do, but he knew his place was in astrometrics, and now it was time for some R&R. His quarters seemed huge, far bigger than they'd been on the space station. He sat down to read some classic Earth fiction, The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Wow, they had some pretty crazy ideas about the future back in the 20th century. It was difficult for him to concentrate on the book when he knew that his crewmates were in a dangerous situation and that at any moment the ship might be attacked again. Ensign Bandana walked to the replicator. Chocolate egg cream, Brooklyn style. He finished his drink and left his quarters for five forward. He really hadn't gotten the opportunity to meet his fellow crewmates yet, and this was just as good a time as any, he thought. In the captain's ready room on the USS Tiberius. Several walked out of the room, and the doors hissed shut behind her. Margon stared at Quinn for a moment. Is there anything I can do for you, Counselor? Quinn asked. Margon smiled. How do you do it, sir? I mean, how do you deal with all the other voices and images in your head? I have only two other people's thoughts in my head, and I can barely handle that. <laughs> Couldn't imagine thousands of voices. I'd go crazy. Quinn laughed. <laughs> well, my dear counselor, I was not always in control of my telepathy. It has taken many years of hard work to filter out the clutter. Margon stood. Well, I'm glad this is only temporary. They both laughed as Margon exited the captain's ready room. As soon as the doors closed, Quinn's expressions changed. He sat down in his chair and looked concerned, and started to wonder if they would ever find their missing crewman. So that was part two of season two's RPG dramatization. As you can tell, we got halfway through the season and we intended to actually do the rest, 
but people got busy and the season just kind of took off. Um, so we were unable to finish it. But we are yeah. planning to do a season five RBG dramatization. Jen is in the works with that right now. We actually, I think, got a lot more participate. Oh my gosh, yeah. And um, it should be a lot of fun. So, anyways, we wanted to discuss how season two ended so we don't leave you guys hanging. Um, so, if you want to take it away, Jen, that'd be great. Okay, what was the name of the bad guys? Akamarians? Akamarians? Ah, you beat me. Is that right? Oh, I got that on top of my head. Dude, who is the, who is the main character? Um, oh, I remember season two now. This had the Klingon and... Yes, Angela played Corinth. That's right. Oh, I like that. That was good. Yeah. She was as a Klingon. Yeah. Oh, that's she right. made a good Klingon. She did. <laughs> we she were... had so much fun doing it, too. Yeah. Remember, this is when we were altered. Mm-hmm. She needs to make a comeback. I think Corinth does. It may be the Mirror Universe. There we go. Yeah, I am looking. But I can't remember the, the main character. Anyway. For him right what, now. Yeah, what happens is there is a battle between the ships... And um, this shows our um, <laughs> maybe our inexperience here in Star Trek lore, but we had Savril um, and uh, I think Pepper Dude's character, who's um, Johnny Monrique at the time he was a security officer, mm-hmm. and I think King Linkser's character. Um, they all be- beamed over to the ship because it was battle damaged and they were in I think that for the most part everyone on that ship was incapacitated the Akamarians battleship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were there just to to free Dr. Peterson I think and they realized he wasn't there on the ship and they took the ship um, from the Akamarians and there was a, a brief skirmish and, and they um, they took command of it mm-hmm. and I think that um, who who was it wasn't Quinn on the surface of the planet and he went after Dr. Peterson to rescue mm-hmm. him? Yes. Or maybe it was Johnny Monrique. He was doing he was doing double duty. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> at the time, he was our only security guy. Well, we, we were down, yeah, but we were down there with uh-huh. him. We were down there with Peterson. Quinn was. Yeah. yeah. I remember so Quinn you, found him. So maybe after after we came back from taking the Akamarian ship yeah. and we realized he wasn't there. Um, and the, the main... Ch- the main bad guy was Matic. Yeah, Martok. Was no, not no, Martok. No, Matic. Yeah, that Matic. M A T T A C K. Okay. Matic. Yeah. So he, Matok. I I don't know Matok. I think that was his name. Okay. Anyway, I don't know. It was an actual character from a TNG episode um, that we just grabbed and started the story based on that, mm-hmm. where the Akamarians were fighting against um, some other people on their planet that if there was like a class division mm-hmm. and if you've seen that episode you, you know what I'm talking about and I think um, Picard negotiated between the two and there was supposedly peace and the show ended you know mm-hmm. with them being you know together as buddies again but we decided to stir the pot there yeah. for this season yeah so anyway we freed um Peterson and the kid that that ended up being injured, the Akamarian kid, was actually uh, Matok's son. And um, when Matok was killed, um, Corinth adopted the son because yeah. because Matok had killed hers. So it was, you know, 
he was of a warrior race anyway. So. Swing on honor thing, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And that was the last time we saw her. She rode off into the sunset. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so. And also, we lost we lost one of our main characters. That's Ep right. Which and one? Peters. Lieutenant Peters. That's right. He went on. He, he sacrificed himself for Quinn. Yes. He, it wasn't Johnny Monrique that went down. It was Lieutenant Peters. He yeah. Was, he was the chief security at the time. Yes, he was. And who who was it that played his part? I know he's Trekkie still Geek. Trekkie Geek. He Trekkie still frequents Geek. the forums, but yes. um, he doesn't write in our RPG anymore. Yeah. He got too busy. That was that was a, that was some really good. I thought it was some good writing with his yeah. death. Everybody's reaction to it. The last. I'm looking at the the RPG now, and the last page mm -hmm. is full of of the reaction of losing Peters. Mm -hmm. There was a funeral in the holodeck that ended up being a, it was a battle, right? It yeah. Was just a fight. It was supposed to be celebratory, and that's the way I guess he liked to celebrate. Yeah. Was have holodeck fights, and so everybody teamed up against the holodeck um, uh, combatants. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. That was a fun post. And Captain Quinn got his rats from yes, Peter. Phil and Grant. They came from yeah the, the from character. Lieutenant Peterson. He he willed them to me. And wasn't he one of Quinn's friends from? Yes, uh, Quinn. He friends? actually had a rough he had a rough life, and Quinn actually picked him up and gave him his first chance, and you know gave him another chance mm -hmm. uh, to better his life. And Peterson took it and became a better man because of it, and. Subsequently, killed or sacrificed himself to save Quinn from being killed. So mm -hmm. it was a poignant death, and it was sad, and uh, it was it was some good character building for Quinn. So yeah, yeah. For, for a lot of the characters on the ship, that was yeah. their first real chance to develop our characters because yeah. the first one was so schizophrenic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first yeah, and this I think was, this was our first big death too, other than you know because. Uh, Captain Bell disappeared. Yeah. And died. So Lieutenant Peters was the first main. He was our chief security officer to get killed. Mm -hmm. Killed in action. So. Yeah, and at that time during this story, um, uh, Captain Quinn was the acting captain. He wasn't actually given the ship yet. That's right. I didn't get the ship until three. Yeah. That's right. So this was the first person that died under his command. So it was. It was. I thought season two was was really good. It was definitely better than season one. We yes. improved, but uh, yeah. I mean, you could definitely reread stuff and think, oh, I should have done it this way or done it that way. Or, but this one had a really cool, cohesive story. I think. Mm -hmm. That uh, was the first time we ever did an outline. Too. Yes, it was, and I was yeah. resistant to it, but it worked. So. I so, think I banged it out like in my car while I was waiting for my <laughs> husband to come out. And I was just writing it all down on a note, little notebook pad <laughs> and typed it all up. That was before we started getting together and um, coming up with ideas. Yes. Our, you know, group. Yeah. And at, also, that time, not, there, not, at that time, there wasn't no, there was hardly anybody participating. Yeah. And it, it was difficult to, I think, uh, towards the end, I just finished it off in one big post that was a, um, <laughs> it was a first officer's log and just told everyone how it ended. For season two, yes, because at that point it, the the participation had waned towards the end. Are you sure? I so I'm looking at Margon has the big party one, Moyer seven seven seven, and then I have the very last post. Let's see. Maybe you posted. 
Oh, yes. You're right. There it is. It's the third to the end. Mm-hmm. Acting First Officer's Log Supplemental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a good way. I like I like doing that. I think we should do that for every season. It would be cool. Yeah. Let's but you over. should... The, in writing, they always say, show me, don't tell me. So... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's better to write it. But no, 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 no. I think, but I think it'd be a cool way to... to to if someone doesn't have time to read the whole season just to kind of read the very last post yeah. and kind of get an idea of what happened in that season do you want me to read it just tell everyone how it ended oh yeah that sounds good acting first officer's log supplemental the science officers left on Altair 3 have completed their forensic investigation and we are now on our way to collect them before returning to starfleet command to present our evidence the Akamarian child recovered from the gatherer vessel has recovered fully from his injuries. It's unclear at the moment if he participated in these massacres. He claims that he fought alongside his father, but Matok, the gatherer and second in command, has indicated that the boy attended, yet was not allowed to join the adults. Apparently, the son of Chorgon was not yet old enough. The boy fervently denies this, but I believe Matok. Currently, the boy is under Counselor Margon's care. I have noticed that he is not particularly well-mannered, yet his life has been difficult. It is not unexpected that his behavior should reflect this fact. Chorgon, the leader of the Akamarian Gatherers, father of the boy in question, and captain of the vessel we commandeered, escaped Federation justice. Instead of standing trial with his men, he has succumbed to a Klingon blood oath. He was transferred off his vessel and onto the Klingon ship by his treacherous second-in-command. An hour later, his body was detected floating away from the battle cruiser. It seems Corinth's son, who was yet another victim of the gatherers, has been avenged. Captain Corinth has requested that the boy be given to her. At first we believed that she intended to kill the child, but Chief Engineer Kararth and Ensign Enoch have informed us that under such circumstances it is not uncommon for a Klingon to adopt an enemy's offspring. The two Klingon Federation officers called attention to the fact that the boy is of a warrior race. Perhaps it is best that he's given an opportunity to temper his rash Akamarian blood with Klingon honor. Commander Quinn has been considering Corinth's request. He promised the Klingon that he would come to a decision within an hour. That is it. That pretty much sums up Season 2. Mm-hmm. So that is going to do it for this ready room. This is Jen. And this is Kenny. Hailing frequencies closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com.